All right. Well, for the last uh, several weeks through the season of Advent, we have been looking at the Christ child, this little baby in the manger. And it's been a marvelous journey to hear what the prophets said about Jesus. Well, I'm really excited, as David already shared, where we're going next is we're going to see how this baby grows up. And we're going to hear how he gives a revelation to who he actually is. It's the self-revelatory statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we'll be looking today at that moment in the, with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And then I'm also going to dip into the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7. Because in both cases, Jesus identified himself as the living water. And kids, I'm really grateful you guys are here. As we're going through this, listen for all the details because we're talking about one of the Gospels. That's a story of Jesus. And the story is real and it has details in it. And those authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they were writing down the Gospels, they chose to put these details in there for a reason. So as we go along, I hope you can use your imagination a little bit and see what it was like to be back there with Jesus and to hear him say these words. All right, well, that in mind, first of all, we're going to go into John chapter 4. But before we get there, let me give you some context and background so we can have a chance to climb into what actually was taking place and kind of like stand beside Jesus at the moment. In John 2.25, John lets us know that Jesus did not need a testimony about what was in a person's heart. He knew what was already in our hearts. And so with John chapter 2.25, you think right to John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, it says there was a man named Nicodemus. So we know that Jesus already knows his heart. And then in John chapter 4, there was a woman at the well, and Jesus already knows her heart. And you get this, this contrast between these two figures. You've got the learned, respected Jewish male leader, a religious leader of the Jews. And over here, you've got this, this despised, unschooled Samaritan woman. And it's kind of like it makes this spectrum between those that are respected and those that are unrespected and everyone in between. And we see how both of these individuals needed Jesus and how Jesus broke through cultural expectations to give them what they needed. We know that Jesus ate with sinners and had no formal training. So Nicodemus had no reason to go to him. Nicodemus should not have sought him out, but he did. And maybe that's why he went to Jesus at night. Because he wanted to escape the scrutiny of his peers who would say, what are you doing talking to him? He should be coming to you. And then the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan and she was a woman. And Jesus was not supposed to be talking to her, especially in public, let alone a Samaritan. Nicodemus knew the Torah, the law, the prophets, the writing, the whole thing. The the woman only knew the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, Moses' books. That's all she knew. Jesus was, didn't care about any of these things. He didn't care about the barriers. He was going to break through any barrier in order to reach them, and he will break through any barrier in order to reach you. And I think it's always fascinating to see how Jesus turns the direction of the tide, doesn't he? I mean, usually back then and today, we think about how, you know, if somebody is defiled in some way, they're going to defile me. They're going to defile that which is good. But Jesus turns the, turn, turns the direction of that, doesn't he? It used to be if you touched a leper, then you also were unclean. But Jesus would touch a leper and make the leper clean. It makes me wonder, sometimes for myself, maybe for you too. Are there moments when I kind of hesitate to enter into a situation because of what it might do to me? When in reality, if Jesus is living in me, and Jesus is living in you, maybe 
we should see it the other way, that Christ has an opportunity to touch, sanctify, heal, and change whatever situation we are in. Well, the story goes that the pressure was rising in Judea, and so Jesus knew that he wanted to get away for a little bit to friendlier Galilee, and so the text says that he had to go through Samaria. I don't know why he had to go through Samaria. I mean, there's a way to go around Samaria. A lot of Jews would do that at the time. Maybe it was just because it was the fastest route. It was the most direct route. Or maybe there was another reason. Maybe he had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment to keep. Now, we know that the, the Jacob's well is about 25 or 30 miles from Jerusalem. So Jesus probably in Judea had about a 20-mile walk. He could have done that in about six hours easily, I think, because they were walking all the time back there. So they left at 6 o'clock in the morning, and it was now noon. The sun is high. The day is hot. The disciples and Jesus have been walking for six hours. He is tired, and they come to Jacob's well. This is fascinating because, I mean, not obvious many of us have seen Jacob's well, but it exists today. There's only one well in all Samaria that is 4,000 years old, and archaeologists and scholars are quite certain that this is the very well that Jesus sat by. This is the well that is called Jacob's Well, and it is located at a fork in the road. The right fork would take you up to uh, the, the metropolitan area of Bethshan and up to the southern shores of the Sea of Galilee. The left fork would take you up to Western Galilee. Jesus was likely going on to Western Galilee to see some friends and to find some, some friendlier environment. It was a very deep well back then. It's a very deep well today. Uh, last word I had was about 150 feet deep. There's a lot of cord you got to roll down there to get that thing, to get the bucket down to the water. And while we don't know the exact location of the village of Sikhar, where the woman came from, my guess was it's, there's, there's the ruins are about 250 feet away to the west. Chances are good. That's where the disciples went to buy food. That's where the woman was living. She came out to the water, to the well, to get some water. It's noon, heat of the day, sun is shining, Jesus is alone at the well. Let's go to the text beginning in verse 7, and I'm going to just amplify on the text as we read through it this morning. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, now recognize that usually Samaritan well, any women would go to the water, uh, to go, would go to get water together as a group, and they would go do it usually in the cooler part of the morning or the cooler part of the evening or both, the fact that this woman is coming in the heat of the day alone says something about her. So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now it's interesting, but there's a footnote, there's another translation here. The word associate could have to do with the vessel and it actually could be saying, for Jews do not use dishes Samaritans have used because they will be defiled by that dish, by that vessel. And I think the woman looks, Jesus doesn't have a, a jar. He doesn't have a rope. He doesn't have his own equipment. He's going to need to use hers. And she knows he can't do that. He'll be defiled if he does. So she says, well, you don't have any way to get water out of this. Notice also that the woman speaks very boldly, forthrightly, without any kind of deference. She was being rude. She was just, you know, here's this guy sitting here. What's he wants? Verse 10, Jesus answered her, you know, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus knows he's got her in a conversation now. She didn't just blow him off. 
She engaged him, yeah, rudely, but she engaged him. And so he speaks to her and begins to take her, building a bridge from where she is to where he knows she needs to get. Living water is running water. It is an asset. It is something to be desired. And so in a physical sense, Jesus is saying, I have something you would like to have. Physically, she's thinking it's living water, it's moving water, it's fresh, it's clean, it's not stagnant water. Spiritually, there's a living water as well. It has to do with a spiritual resource of help, refreshment, and strength. Old Testament prophets spoke about that living water a lot. Jeremiah in chapter 2 said, The people preferred their own cracked and empty cisterns, the one that they dug out themselves is not going to hold water. They prefer these things to the living water that God has for them. Ezekiel and Zechariah spoke of a time when living water would flow like a river from Jerusalem. In the Old Testament prophets, whenever they speak of, uh, of living water, they speak of a promise of cleansing life and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Now think about this, because the woman only knew the Pentateuch, right? She didn't know the full Torah. And so when Jesus says, if you had known the gift of God, the gift of God in the Jewish realm was the Torah. It's the full revelation of God in what we call the Old Testament. So he says, if you had known the gift of God, if you had known the full Torah and all these different things that were said about living water and who I am, you would be asking me for something. Again, let's go back to this comparison between Nicodemus and the woman. Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel. He knew the full Torah. But he didn't understand what Jesus was saying. So Jesus said, how can you, a teacher of Israel, not know this? But with the woman, he doesn't say that. He doesn't give a rebuke to her. He's very gentle. He's very kind. And he shows the way that he will address you and me with who we are and where we are, gentle and kind. And while the conversation is still about water that the woman wants, Jesus has now added a new element to the conversation, the person she's talking to. And notice here how it, it, it's significant, I think, because she, she grabs onto what he's saying, and she suddenly becomes very polite and deferential. And she says in verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? In other words, she's looking going, that's the only water I know around here. I've been around these parts all my life, and I've never seen any flowing water. Where are you going to get it? She says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as did his sons and his flocks and his herds. What can you bring to this? And again, occur questions like Nicodemus. Remember him? He said, how, how, how is it possible for a man to climb back into his mother's womb and be born again? How is it possible that you can find living water, flowing water in this arid region? It's, it's not possible. I don't understand. The questions are important whether you are learned or whether you are unschooled, whether you are brand new to the faith, whether you've been walking with Jesus for decades, always ask the questions. And when he begins to engage you in these things, don't grow silent. I mean, she could have just blown him off when she came to the well, right? Please give me a drink of water. You know, it, but she engaged him in conversation. So no matter what your question might be, how in the world can all this suffering happen if you're a good God? Why is this happening to me? Why can't this be like this or that be like Go ahead and ask him your questions and be ready. Because his answer may not be exactly what you expect 
but just don't go silent on him. He wants to engage you. Verse 13, so Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, pointing to the well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is now amplifying. It's not physical here, okay? We're talking about something different. It's welling up to eternal life. And the image here is of this really deep well, and the water is just welling up. It's just coming up the shaft, and it's spilling out over the top, and she doesn't need a bucket and a long rope anymore. It's just flowing out. It's freely available, and it's for her and for anyone else. Because Jesus is saying that God's gift of living water is even better than Jacob's gift of water at the bottom of this well. And in John chapter 7, which we'll talk to in a minute, Jesus speaks of living water again, and very clearly John tells us that he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit being poured out on all of his people. So through his Holy Spirit, Jesus comes to live inside of us. He quenches our spiritual thirst. Remember Blaise Pascal, that in the heart of every human being is a God-shaped vacuum that could only be filled by God himself? That's the spiritual thirst that Jesus is talking about. And the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And he then quenches the spiritual thirst we have. Craig Keener, in his commentary on John, said, When one receives Jesus, one receives the sum total of all that one needs spiritually. The living water provides all that we need spiritually to bring us into a new relationship with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus was meaning spiritual, and he was trying to bring this dear woman to the place of understanding that she was still stuck on physical because that's what her great need was. That's what she did every day at noon. That's what she felt so deeply. But at this point, Jesus had piqued her curiosity. I mean, she's standing there at the well looking at this guy, seeing a very tired Jewish man who's claiming to have something more than Jacob. And she's going, he can't be better than Jacob, greater than Jacob, can he? And yet he's offering her something she knows that she needs, and she's interested. So verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You see, even though she does not yet understand what Jesus is offering, she asks to receive it. And so Jesus begins to approach it from a different angle now. He knows this conversation is going deeper. She, she doesn't quite get it yet, but he's going to take, the, take her eyes off the water for a minute, talk about her life, her lifestyle, her friends, her husbands, and let her know that he knows what's in her heart. So this was a private conversation with one person at a well. The next time Jesus talked about being living water, he spoke to thousands of people at the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's take a look at that in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, now kids, remember, the details are important. Whenever you're reading a story of what happened, look at the details. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And John adds this interpretation. By this, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus chose this moment for a very specific reason. On the last and greatest day 
of the feast. Now, for us to understand it, we've got to climb back into his reality a little bit. So let's take a moment to learn a little bit about the Pool of Siloam. In Hebrew, the Pool of Siloam's name means the pool of the one who will be sent. In other words, it's the pool of the Messiah. Now, it's located, if you could get a picture in your mind, and there's a mountain, that's where the temple courts are. It's located about 2,000 feet away from the southern entrance to the temple with an with a, um, elevation drop of about 380 feet. And it's connected by a very broad boulevard. And the people would see the Pool of Siloam, and they had it as an idea of a prophetic symbol of how the Messiah will pour water out on all the desert and make it bloom. And how the Messiah will be the one to pour the Holy Spirit on his people to make them bloom and flourish. With this in mind, let me read from a summary of what took place on the last and greatest day of the feast. Uh, over the years, yeah, this, this, this is a good summary of it, and I'll add a few more details as we go along. So each fall, the Jews celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Recognize this is the last of Moses' feasts the feast that God gave for Moses, the last day of the last feast of the year. This is a big deal. Each fall, the Jews celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. The last day of this feast is called the Great Day of the Feast. And on this day, the priest would perform a special ritual in which the nation would cry out for their Messiah to come. Beginning at the temple located on the top of Mount Moriah, the high priest would lead a long line of priests, and I think many other celebrants, thousands of people, down that long boulevard, singing along the way, Psalms 113 to Psalm 118, down the boulevard to the Pool of Siloam, located at the bottom of the mountain. At the pool, the high priest would fill a special pitcher, a golden pitcher, with water from the pool. And with great pomp and ceremony, the high priest would then take the long climb back up the boulevard to the temple courts. He would then take the pitcher of water to the altar of sacrifice, and as he poured it out, he would recite from Isaiah 44 about the future Messiah coming to Israel. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on all your descendants. And the crowd would then fall silent as they offered a prayer, asking, begging the Messiah to come. And I wonder... I wonder if after all that pomp and singing, if after all the celebration and the processional, if after all the scripture, if after all the prayers and the, the pleading, if it was at that moment when everything fell silent and the water, you could hear the water dripping on the altar. I wonder if it was at that moment that one man stood up in the middle of them all and said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. Those who do, will be filled with living water and you will experience the fulfillment of all scripture. Everything you've been talking about is found in me right now. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus did. You know, you know, folks who say that Jesus never claimed anything special about himself, never claimed to be Messiah, never claimed to be deity. I mean, with all due respect, I don't think they've read the gospels very well. This is what Jesus did. This is what he said. This is what he was unfolding for the people. And that, it doesn't end there. In Exodus 17 and Numbers 20, we read about how God gave people water from the rock, and they had to come back to the rock, come back to the rock to get their water. Now in John chapter 7, we read Jesus saying, come to me and drink. What's he saying? He's talking about the very thing that they were thinking about in the Feast of Tabernacles, the time the water came from the rock. The Apostle Paul knows this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 
Paul describes the events, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul describes the events of the Israelites in the wilderness. And he said, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. By saying what he did that day on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus was saying that their prayers for the Messiah have been answered, and that God was answering their prayers for living water in the most amazing abundant way in him. To the woman at the well, Jesus said, everyone who drinks the water from Jacob's well will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, the interesting thing about the water Jesus gives is that when you drink it, ah, it stays with you. Unlike the Israelites in the wilderness of the woman at the well, there's no need to go back to the source because when you come to the source, the source now comes with you. This is a physical symbol, as I said, but I want to make sure I make the point clear. It's a physical symbol that points to a spiritual truth, and John tells us what that is in, in verse 39. By this, this living water, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Like the woman at the well, the people in the city were a little bit confused. What did he mean by that? The woman was saying, can this guy be greater than Jacob? The people in the town were saying, uh, is this guy the prophet like Moses? Is he the Christ? Who is he? Everyone is whispering in the crowd, wondering what's going on. They didn't want the religious leaders to hear what they were thinking. And there was one voice that stood up and spoke clearly. Come to me and drink. The invitation that Jesus gave to the woman and to the crowds is the same one that he gives to us today. Come to me and drink. Those who put their trust in him, those who believe that he is who he said he is, that he's done what he said he came to do, they too will become a source of living water, a source that refreshes others, even as they themselves are refreshed, a source that changes the world around them, even as he himself changed the world around him. When the woman's eyes were opened and she began to hope that Jesus was greater than Jacob, that he was the promised Messiah, she left her water pots behind. She forgot about her, her, her physical need because the spiritual reality was welling up inside of her. And she had to go tell someone else about the living water she thought she'd found. The same thing happens to us. When we drink deeply, we cannot help but share the water we receive with others. Nicodemus, the woman, and the crowd, they were all just going about their daily tasks, weren't they? I mean, whether you're at the festival or whether you're going to the well again or whatever you're doing, it's just like the same thing. You know what to expect. But then suddenly Jesus steps in and he addresses you and he forces a response and he changes the expectation. And so I wonder, how many, times, how many times do I get caught up? So caught up in my own busyness, so caught up in my own worries and my own concerns that I don't hear his word inviting me to en engage in conversation with him. I'm like the woman at the well who doesn't even respond. I got, I got water to get. I can't talk to you right now. I wonder how many times he seeks to engage me in conversation and I respond with silence. And I wonder if the same thing happens to you. I mean, look what's going on. We got COVID. We got stock market issues, we got inflation, oh my goodness, we've got political concerns, we've got international political concerns. There's another diaper to change, there's another meeting to be had, there's another bill in the mail, there's another Zoom call, oh, Zoom call. 
just another daily trip in the heat of the day out to that lonely place to do what you gotta do. But Jesus can meet you there. Jesus wants to meet you there. He will break down any barrier to get to you. And so I want to encourage us all to be open to engage him in conversation. And as you travel, be aware that your faith in God, your faith in Christ, has given you living water. And so the very thing you might be looking for, you might already possess, because it's possible for us to quench the Spirit or to grieve the Spirit, to slow down that flow of living water in us. So the very thing you're looking for, you might already possess, you might already have it. Just be aware of that. And as you engage Jesus, ask him to help you to access the water that he already has given you and to show you who he really is. And then be ready. Because when he does, when he unfolds his self-revelation to you, it changes the way you view the rest of the world as you leave your water pots behind. Tell others about the living water you have found. Would you please pray with me? Just like Nicodemus and the dear woman, Lord, please tear down all the barriers to engage us and show us who you are, even through the din of our own busyness or the monotony of the day or the worry of the moment or the celebration we have. Lord, would you help us to hear the words and engage with you, to bring you our questions, to bring you our confusion, our fear, our worry, Help us enter this new year with expectant and yielded hearts, expecting you to be present and yielding to your love. Jesus, you have been glorified. The Spirit has been given. And so we know that even if it's just a mustard seed of faith, the water is flowing in all who profess you as Lord. Let it flow, Lord. Unfold for us and let us see who you are and change us. Let your glory be known. Let your peace be felt in us so that we might share your gift of your living water with those around us in your name.